0: This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock?
1: Tech story is front and center. What
0: will this wind up doing to the cost curve?
2: Your connection from the London market close to the US market
0: action. A significant
1: sell-off in European
2: assets.
0: So it feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in.
1: This is a stock that is increasingly being
2: shorted. The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele.
0: Behavioral challenges from the pandemic could linger for years
2: on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening to London. You're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. It's just past 5 p.m. in London. It's 12 p.m. here in New York. I'm Alex Steele. Guy Johnson is off today. Kriti Gupta will be joining me in the studio for the an hour in just a moment. We made it through August, guys. We did it. And it was a really bizarre month. I mean, you're looking at European stocks down about five percent for the month. Uh, the CAC Caron down by five percent. The DAX off by four point eight percent because of the huge rally that we've seen in natural gas. You also had an enormous move in bond yields. Also, those are the two big takeaways from the month. The big takeaway from today is the huge inflation that we saw over in Europe, nine point one percent. You now have a 75 basis point rate hike next week priced in to the market. Goldman Sachs, Bank of America also increasing their call on that. We'll get to all of that in just a moment, but first, let's get some top headlines here with Charlie Pellet. Hi, thank
3: you very much, Alex Steele. Here's what's going on. Prices in British shops rose at the highest rate since at least 2005 this month as Britain's battled soaring costs on everything from gasoline to crisps. The British retail consortium said shop price inflation accelerated to 5.1% in August. A new record for the index, which was started in 2005, and from 4.4 percent in july food price increases hit 9.3 percent with milk Margarine and crisps seeing the biggest rises. Europe faces the risk of blackouts, rationing, and a severe recession if Russia further slashes gas deliveries, and the next reality check is at hand. A three-day halt of the Nord Stream pipeline, a key source of natural gas for the European Union, began today, and concerns are widespread that Moscow will find another excuse to clamp down on supplies, putting the region at the mercy of the weather. Hours ahead of the planned outage, Gazprom set an unsettling tone by notifying French utility Angie that it would halt deliveries from tomorrow because of a disagreement over payments. John Lewis Partnership is hiring more than 10,000 temporary workers across the UK to meet demand over the crucial Christmas period. That is 3,000 more than the department store chain hired in its festive push last year and all employees will be getting free food from October to January to help with the higher cost of living. The retailer offered free food to workers last year as well. That is the latest from the news desk. Alex Steele, back to you now here in New York.
0: Mm, We like the free food. We get free food here at Bloomberg. We like that. We We certainly
3: do, and we enjoy it.
0: Talking about the lunches is is a key thing. Critty's joining me. Hello. Happy end of uh, August. I I bet you
4: some traders are glad to get this past them. I think they really are. The summer has gone by so quickly, Mm -hmm. I feel like. And I'm excited to come back from Labor Day because it means that I think everyone's just going to – Go and swinging. Yeah, well, and the volatility was no joke too uh, over the past few
0: weeks. Um, Time about volatility. Looking ahead to the ECB next week. Now, just it got a lot more exciting. You got this inflation data at nine point one percent for August over in the eurozone. You have a seventy-five bit hike now, hundred percent priced in, fully not hundred percent fully priced in uh, for next Thursday. Joining us now is Christina Kino, FX and rates um, a, st- a reporter and market leader for ECB, and uh, that was a weird title.
4: What is your title,
5: Christine? It's a very long title, Alex. I don't even know what it is. (laughs) Also, I can actually say this because I
4: actually know it. Are you ready? (laughs) Yeah, okay. It's a very long one. Christine, correct me if I'm wrong. All right, go for it. Are you ready? Okay, I'm going to win like $1,000 here. He's the head of FX rates and EM coverage for the EMEA region. Did I get it right?
5: Gold star.
0: There you go. yeah. $100 for you. <laughs>
4: it, it's Christine who's joining us. Not in this studio, which
0: is highly upsetting. She went yeah. back to London and she she's did. there now. Um, we miss you over here. But um, are you surprised at now we're looking at, we went from yesterday talking about 75 bips next week for the ECB to now pricing it fully in.
5: Well, Alex, you know, I think that what really kicked this off is what we heard from the ECB toward the end of last week, where re- we initially got kind of whispers that a growing minority, it's still a minority at the European Central Bank, but it is growing, uh, willing to consider the idea of a jumbo-sized rate hike from the ECB. And it, it's probably uh, a wash whether they do it in September or October. The key point here is that this is probably the biggest uh, rate hike From the ECB that we've seen in years and it is likely to happen imminently, um, at least according to the market chatter, uh, what we're hearing from banks and as well as what we're supposedly hearing from uh, our sources at the ECB itself. And so, yeah, this is quite a big deal. This is um, uh, historic in a lot of ways. Big question, of course, is whether they're going to be doing it or at least signaling that they're going to be doing it uh, soon at their meeting next week.
4: It's a massive deal, especially for the currency markets, which have really been hovering around parity for a while. Christine, do you buy the euro off this?
5: Well, that oh, is the big a question. big question. Yeah, that is the big question, Cri. Because it's a bit of a puzzler the fact that we have this massive rate hike that markets are increasingly pricing in in rates markets. On one hand, in theory, if that is the only factor weighing into the currency price, then we really should be rallying in the euro here. But mm-hmm. it's not, right? It's still languishing just above that parity level because on the other side of all of this is, of course, this looming energy crisis that Europe is just staring down the barrel of. We're heading into the winter months, and uh, it's pretty scary.
0: Well, also, um, I was talking to Matt Mish of UBS on television with Anna Edwards, and she asked him about the European credit market. He says that he thinks the ECB is going to be more dovish to cut than the Fed, that their ability to hike is going to be constrained. So if we're going to look at when the ECB hikes, they're going to have to hike before the Fed. And I would think, Creeji, that that's just going to put more inability to really support the Euro.
4: Yeah, and I will I will add to that bear case, essentially, for the Euro, because Marcus Ashworth, uh, who is a longtime contributor to this particular program of Bloomberg Opinion, made uh, the comment, I believe, I want to say last week, that it isn't actually about the rate hikes at all. It's actually about the... Uh, the tool, the transmission tool, I'm sorry, the 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 name escapes me, the Mm -hmm. transmission Mm -hmm. mechanism when it comes to closing spreads, which is still incredibly ambiguous. And Mm -hmm. that's really the reason that
5: people aren't that confident on the euro. Absolutely. And they just have a history, right, of, of falling behind the Fed a little bit. I mean, again, remember that the ECB really is one of the last central banks to finally get on board this tightening train. The Fed has, what, had delivered 225 basis points already of rate hikes this year. They're potentially talking about adding more to that before the end of the year is out. The gap between these two in terms of the policy delivery is mm-hmm. massive. And you can see that gap very clearly in a currency as well.
0: Well, we talked about um, FX. What about rates? Like, how's positioning now? going into next week with this big change in what we're expecting.
5: Well, Alex, I mean, mar- the nature of rates markets is basically to just up the ante more and more, especially heading into the ECB meeting. And that's exactly what we're seeing now, right? That 75 basis point um, idea being priced into the market. I think, depending on what we hear from them uh, next week, we could potentially see uh, further rate hike expectations getting built out for later in the year and into early next year. Mm-hmm. Or on their rhetoric uh, around the economy, we could potentially start seeing rate cuts being priced in for um, 2023. Oh, like you do a
0: hawkish move, but you talk (laughs) the dovish walk kind of thing.
5: Exactly.
4: You know, it's interesting because I feel like the ECB is quite literally ripping a page out of the Federal Reserve's playbook here. They are Mm -hmm. slowly hiking, um, and then they're trying to surprise the markets, but perhaps not doing uh, the best job of that. But I'm curious about what that means in terms of the ECB's version of quantitative tightening when it comes to the PEP program. At the end of the day... It's still there. So how much of an impact will that really have?
5: Yeah, I think that is the 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 question as well in terms of the efficacy of, of ECB rate tax. Because you're right, Kriti. I mean, this is just one part of their policy lever. And, and again, I think this is the reason why as well. Investors are a little skeptical to believe that the ECB will be able to deliver mm-hmm. the same sort of shock and awe that the Fed has in terms of really tightening. Because they've just been a lot more timid and slow going on this than the Fed yeah. has.
0: Well, also, you know. The U.S. economy is in better shape than Europe. We don't have the same kind of energy crisis in the same way. Um, Christine, always a pleasure. We miss you here. It's great to hear your voice again. Christine Aquino uh, joining us from London. FX rates and EMEA titles. All of it. That stuff. She does the things. The big jumble. Good stuff. Um, Okay, coming up, we're going to hear from Charlie Bean. A really interesting take on what he thinks the U.K. guilt market is going to go through based on the high inflation and political uncertainty. We'll get his take next. This is Bloomberg.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: So we think it's bad over in Europe. In the UK, as I'm sure everyone can attest to, it is also quite difficult. You have a rising costs pretty much anywhere uh, that you go. It's also creating a headache for the new political shift. We don't know who's yet going to be prime minister. It also creates havoc uh, for the BOE. So... Bloomberg Television talked to Charlie Beanies, former BOE deputy governor for monetary policy. He had some fascinating things to say. He started talking about risk premium and the new government.
6: I could see investors starting to think the UK doesn't look such a good place uh, to invest. You'll see a risk premium re-emerging on gilts, which is already starting to happen. But in the worst-case scenario, you could see a very difficult situation evolving for the government Mm -hmm. in the autumn or early uh, next year when it finds it much more expensive uh, to finance its borrowing. Yeah. And sterling is coming under pressure, which forces the, the bank to uh, run a tighter yeah. monetary policy.
7: Charlie, i got to say, it, it's hard not to listen to Lizzie, the concern about inflation, energy bills tripling, and, and not get this pessimistic view of, of where we're heading when it comes to the UK economy. Are you pessimistic? What's, what's your base case for where the country's economy goes from here on out?
6: Well, the country is certainly facing a pretty challenging uh, set of circumstances. Now, Lizzie was mentioning back in the 70s. Now, I- I'm old enough to have started <laughs> my professional career back in the Ar- 70s <laughs> in the Treasury. Uh, and that was uh, a-, a pretty challenging mm. time. And it wasn't just a single spike in inflation, uh, it was persistently yeah. high inflation. Um, and. Um, While the immediate prospects for inflation obviously depend heavily on what happens in the Ukraine and the gas prices and so forth, which I think are essentially unpredictable. Mm. So when people are saying, is inflation going to go to 22 or 80?", We don't know, and nobody should claim they know it's going to know. They they know, but it is likely uh, to stay pretty high. Uh, What worries me, and uh, I think will be worrying the bank uh, and the Monetary Policy Committee, is uh, the extent to which that inflation then gets ingrained into the system, with uh, people asking for higher wages to compensate, which we're seeing now? You know, I was all the gonna industrial say, I mean, is unrest. It,
7: is it not basically ingrained at this point? If we are seeing just wages surprise the upside every single time we get the data, uh,
6: I, I think to some extent the answer is yes. People have focused on inflation expectations, but they have tended to forget this uh, what used to be called real wage resistance people trying to preserve the purchasing power of their uh, pay and equally businesses pushing through the cost increases into their final prices. For that reason uh, and given that the labour market is still pretty tight uh, Mm -hmm. I think we will see more persistent inflation Mm -hmm. uh, than perhaps people have factored in and the consequence of that will be that monetary policy uh, has to remain tighter uh, for longer than one might hope. Now, I may be wrong in this. Is this is one of these areas where yeah. we don't know, but that is my fear.
7: Well, I, it, it does feel like one of the things that we're grappling with in this country right now is the idea of, of, of flying blind, especially as we're looking at an incoming prime minister, different proposals there. You have Liz Truss talking about tax cuts, you have everyone talking about immediate. Re- immediate relief when it comes to the energy bill. Are we flying blind in terms of what the impact to those types of things will be on inflation, on the economy, and everyday consumers?
6: Well, I mean, some of the policies that people have talked about, we know what their impact uh, is likely to be. Maybe not perfectly. If you support households' incomes, you maybe don't know how much of it will be uh, be spent and how much saved and so forth. But but we've got a, uh, a rough idea how mm. people will respond. The problem with the uncertainty at the moment is that we don't know what the policies yeah. are going to be and won't until mm-hmm. the conclusion of the leadership.
0: That was Charlie Bean, former BOE Deputy Governor for Monetary Policy. But anyway, you slice it, critique. What's going to happen in the U.K. is going to be magnified, and you just take a look at the gilt market and the ferocity that we've seen those yields move.
4: Yeah, and I think what's interesting here is that, you know, we were just talking to Christina Kino about this, about how uh, worse off Europe is compared to the United States. Mm-hmm. The U.K. arguably is even worse off than Europe, mm-hmm. if you look at some of the cost of living situation.
0: Yeah, it's true. And the political instability, although then you look at Italy, political instability there, too. Right, so but there's I, a
4: difference between a history of po- po- political instability and then a one-off.
0: Right. Um, Okay, more coming up. We're going to talk more about the cost of living increase in the U.K. next. This is Bloomberg.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening. You're listening to The Cable, Bloomberg DAP Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is off today. Let's dig a little deeper into the mess that's over in the U.K. I had to tutorialize, but still. The British Retail Consortium said the price shop inflation accelerated to 5.1% in August. That's a new record, going back to 2005. And 5% woefully compared to the overall inflation rate, which is double digits. This obviously poses an enormous problem for the new Prime Minister that's going to take the helm on Tuesday. Joining us now, David Goodman, UK economy reporter on UK inflation. I just wanted to focus in on that British retail consortium. 5%. Can you give context for me on that?
8: Well, I think th- these numbers never seem to tally with the the overall headline numbers, which are obviously based on a huge host of other things. The BRC is obviously incredibly focused on, on shop price inflation, as opposed to other things which kind of come into the, the headline measure. So I would suppose that, that would explain the kind of difference between the the numbers themselves, but obviously the, the direction and, and the fact that the BRC1 is at a record kind of does tell the same story as as the overall numbers we've been seeing in the last couple but of it's, months. But
0: it's bad. I mean, 5% oh, yeah. is still bad. Like, even exactly, though it's not yeah. the 10%, I mean, was it Goldman who said you could see 22% inflation?
8: Yeah, I mean, all numbers you hear for UK inflation at the moment are bad. They're just all different levels of bad, I guess. And, and the BRC1 obviously maybe strips out some of the effects of energy that are really what's going to turn... A double-digit number that we we were just in mm-hmm. the moment into something kind of unthinkable. That's closest to twenty or even above twenty, if you depend on which uh, which forecast you're looking at right now.
0: Um, at the same time, I mentioned that uh, the new prime minister taking the helm on Tuesday. Monday is the day. We'll we'll know that at twelve thirty, uh, UK time. Um, what's going to be the order of events? You think from the things they're going to have to tackle first, inflation changing BOE mandates, um, dealing with the cost of living in terms of energy and subsidies, windfall taxes. like w- What's going to be the most help to everyone else who's just going to the store and trying to buy things?
8: Well, we were discussing this today on our desk, and I think the thing that makes most sense to do first is to let people know what help they're getting with their bills, because obviously that's the real kind of pressing thing, and that's really what's dominating the conversation here. Um that could be done in a, in a couple of ways. They, it could just be done during a speech or, or a press conference where they, where whoever wins lays out their plans, and then kind of confirms them in a fiscal statement a week or so later in, in the House of Commons. That's that's one option, or or it could wait till that statement itself. But particularly Liz Truss, who is who's the front runner right now, she's really been stressing throughout the campaign that she's ready to hit the ground running. It's, it's a phrase we've heard a lot. So having heard that, you'd, you'd assume that. This plan would be announced sooner rather than later and then the other stuff things like tax hikes that that sorry tax cuts definitely not hikes tax Mm. cuts that might come through that could come through in a kind of mini budget but those don't don't tend to kick in until till april um and the boe question is obviously a a, probably a more longer term kind of existential question as opposed to something that's going to really make a difference to people's experience of the cost of living crisis and i think what we're gonna have to hear first is is the plan for the, that crisis because that's what's on every front page at the moment. That's what everyone's talking about. In whether you, you know, obviously in our office, but also you, you go to weddings or just see people in, in, in the pub, and that's what this is what everyone's talking about in the UK right now.
0: I was gonna say, I'm actually genuinely curious. Like, if you go to the pub and you're talking to friends, like, are you talking about like, like electricity bills, are you talking about food, like, what is the conversation around prices?
8: Well, right now it's it's energy bills, obviously, because of the it price is. cap okay. that, that we've heard about. Um, i was at a wedding earlier in the summer and people who had no who haven't really ever spoken to me about economics were were talking about things like inflation and that was that was more food and other things that was before we we really got the big hikes in energy Mm -hmm. prices but yeah i mean i think a lot of people obviously haven't seen inflation rates close to these levels Mm -hmm. uh, definitely not i mean we're already at the highest since the the kind of early 80s so there's there's a whole generation and more of people who haven't ever experienced this so obviously it's a it's a real kind of hot button issue at the moment
0: yeah and at least here at least in the u.s like the conversation seems to be that we have peaked it's not the case where where you guys are um let's get the boe for a second um so if we get a 75 basis point rate hike from the ecb next week which is now fully priced we get another 75 from the fed what does the ec what can the ecb do at that point
8: At uh, the boe sorry boe yeah um, ecb boe FN. yeah <laughs> well the, i mean obviously the ecb uh uh even further behind the curve than the BOE in terms of what they've done so far. I mean mm-hmm. rates are still zero there. So if they do seventy five basis points you get to get to obviously point seven five. In in the UK we're at one point seven five. So and and then moving to a fifty basis point hike in in August was a, a pretty big step for them. Um and so I think like if they keep moving in fifty basis point increments they can they can get somewhere pretty quickly. Obviously that if you do if you do four, four of them over the next four meetings, which only takes us through to next February, mm-hmm. then you've got rates kind of just on the cusp of four percent, and, and markets are kind of thinking that's, that level maybe slightly higher is where we'll get to by, by by next spring. So you don't need to. I think the ECB are maybe thinking about twenty-five because it's obviously they they've got more ground to to, to make up um, in the in in the UK. I think, I said, yeah, I think the 50 basis point was a big kind of hurdle for the MPC to reach. So thinking about 75 might be a little bit uh, premature.
0: Okay. Yeah. okay, so if, say they get to 4% then for next year. Um, is the base case now for a recession? It seems like it's evolving to be a recession, but I'm wondering what type of recession now economists are seeing uh, for the UK.
8: Well, I think, so for the BOE, in August they said we're going to have a, a seven-quarters Without growth, that was five quarters of, of essentially recession and then two, two flat. That was seen as pretty pessimistic when mm-hmm. when they announced it in August. I think people are catching up to that more and more now. I think what private sector economists can do more is think about what the the government support may may do. The BOE basically weren't able to factor in any kind of government support, any extra government support into their forecast because it just they have to operate within what's been announced so far. And obviously the candidates hadn't really... no one there wasn't the prime minister who could have announced that plan so they may i suppose if there is a a great deal of fiscal support they may row that back a little bit but i think every time you see a note now it seems like people are saying yeah fourth quarter we're going to recession and just the question is kind of how deep and how long and i Mm -hmm. think charlie Bean, at some point on the radio said today it could be deeper and longer than, than people are expecting right now
0: Yeah, he didn't make anyone feel pretty good. Unless you're short guilt, then I'm sure that was a different case. Um, David, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. It was wonderful to talk to you. Uh, David Goodman, UK economy reporter for Bloomberg, uh, joining me. Coming up, we're going to stay in Europe and talk about Nord Stream 1 shutting down again for supposedly 72 hours. Where is the gas crisis storage situation in Europe? This is Bloomberg.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening, you're listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York, along with Priti Gupta. Guy Johnson is off today. Okay, it's the last day of August here in the U.S. I mean, everywhere, but here in the U.S. Uh, Stocks do a whole lot of nothing. Uh, The Nasdaq's trying to make a little bit of a run for it, but just up by one-tenth of 1%. Uh, But for the month, you have the Nasdaq down 4%. The S&P is off by 3.5%. You're looking at oil having its worst month in two years. The dollar uh, having its best months uh, ever actually, uh, and it's a nice long winning streak, the best we've seen since uh, 2021, the soups can go on and on. The superlatives are a lot. What we need to know is central banks are more hawkish and the markets are reacting to that. That's your snapshot of U.S. markets. Now let's get some more Snapshots with Charlie Powell. I thank
3: you very much. And here's what's going on. Traders are confronting the prospect of even bigger rate increases from the European Central Bank as pressure grows on officials to intensify their fight against record inflation in the region. Money markets have priced in 125 basis points of tightening by October, according to interest rate derivatives linked to ECB meeting dates. That implies a half point hike and a three quarter point increase spread over its next two policy decisions, Klaus Bader is Global Chief Economist at Societe Generale in London, and he was interviewed this morning on Daybreak Europe.
8: There's one argument for a 75 basis point move, and that is, you know, while the ECB definitely doesn't target the,
6: the exchange rate, it's not been helpful to easing inflation. The euro is really very weak. Um, and often when you surprise markets with a somewhat bigger interest rate, cut, you get quite a big exchange rate um, effect. But uh, I kind of
8: doubt that they have the guts to move by 75 basis points, but I wouldn't
3: exclude it. And we find out for sure with the ECB's next interest rate decision scheduled for September 8th, a week from tomorrow. London's Transport Authority has struck a £1.2 billion funding agreement with the government following a long-running dispute between Sadiq Khan, the city's mayor, and senior minister Grant Schapps. The deal, which runs until the end of March 2024, follows four short-term emergency funding agreements as the two sides struggle to agree on a plan for the capital's transit network after it was hammered by the COVID-19 pandemic. Speaking of transit, Britain's set to be hit by another national train strike next month as rail workers escalate their demand for higher pay rises and call on the opposition labor party to support their cause the transport salaried staffs association says workers at nine train operating companies and track group network rail will hold a 24-hour walkout from midday september 26th the dates by the way coincide with Labour's annual conference which starts in liverpool the previous day That is the latest from the news desk. Alex Steele, back to you now here in New York.
0: All right, Charlie Pellet, thank you very much. Okay, let's talk about what's happening in the energy market over in Europe. So, here are the couple things that we do know Gazprom totally halting natural gas supplies to NG because of a dispute over compensation and some shortfalls in deliveries from prior months. That's obviously complicated by sanctions. The other part of it is that Gazprom is shutting down Nord Stream 1 for three days, says routine maintenance and inspections are needed. Currently, you're looking at gas storage anywhere between 80 to 85 percent full. Let's try and understand when all of this actually is then meaning for the winter months. James Heron, energy reporter over in Europe, he heads the team team over there, joins me now. Hey, James, um, when it comes to the crisis, I'm trying to understand, are, are we in a better spot than we thought we'd be right now or a worse spot than we thought we'd be right now?
1: I think we're in a bit of limbo right now. Actually, the the Nord Stream shutdown, which will last three days, people will be watching very closely on Saturday to see if it comes back and restarts flowing. Um, it should do if it's normal maintenance, but uh, these are not normal times, and uh, a lot of the issues around Nord Stream with the turbines and everything, uh, um, there's more to them than uh, the innocent explanation of. One of the mill maintenance, and so um, <clears throat> yeah, people. For now, it's hard to draw a judgment as to whether this is this could be a, a full shut off of Russian gas supplies direct into Germany. But uh, people will be watching very closely.
4: Well, speaking of Germany, Olaf Scholz has been very active in terms of securing new sources of energy, uh, specifically LNG. He's got made to Canada, uh, Qatar as well. What kind of timeline are we looking at in terms of removing dependency on Nord Stream 1 altogether?
1: Uh, it's not something that can be done overnight, for sure. It may it Ultimately, in a, to do it in a sustainable fashion could take years, really. Mm-hmm. Um, what we're seeing now is really a scramble to get enough gas to get through this winter. Uh, yeah, and certainly a lot has been done. And uh, Germany has said it's uh, going to achieve its target for how much gas it puts in storage. Um, but, you know, that that that's not necessarily to say that Germany can do it with entirely without Russian gas this winter. If uh, Putin were to decide to cut Europe off completely, then there could still be problems. Uh,
0: when it comes to the market reacting to these day-to-day fluctuations, at some point... Are we going to get just used to all these headlines and markets will stop reacting? Like, of course, Gazprom will come back online at some point. Putin's not going to get rid of that money. Uh, but of course, it's going to shut down again. It's Nord Stream 1. Like, we know that this is going to happen. And I'm wondering if there's going to be some kind of headline immunity that winds up kicking back up.
1: Uh, it's possible. And of course, the what could affect that is the EU's plan to essentially intervene in how gas and power is priced in Europe which uh, essentially trying to sort of extract the volatility of natural gas from the price of electricity using various means which they haven't settled upon yet so that that could lead to a market that's less responsive to individual news flow but um, there wasn't much of a price response to Nord Stream shutting down for maintenance because it was expected I think we will see a price response if it doesn't come back and there are the signal is from Russia that it's not coming back. But we're not there yet.
4: Well, speaking of the price response, I believe recently we had a 20% drop uh, in in the gas market specifically. Something that I want to say sentiment-wise perhaps crossed over into the oil space as well. And a lot of it just came from German storage levels. How reliable is that increase in storage levels? How much of a difference is it really going to make?
1: Uh, as I said, you know, it's it's uh, additional security of supply um it's a comfort but in the most extreme circumstances the worst of which would be russia shuts off the gas it's a very cold winter and maybe the french nuclear power stations continue to have problems or even maybe if their problems get worse then you know like it's not going to be enough and europe will face that. that's why europe is getting ready for the prospect of rationing energy you know thinking about which industries would shut down in order to keep gas flowing to homes and other places that can't do without it.
0: My issue with um, changing how things are priced and sort of price caps, etc., is that then the free market's not going to work. Because in theory, if you have high prices high enough, you're going to have automatic demand destruction, and that in, ends up resettling the market. Without that, I don't see how Europe avoids severe price spikes for longer.
1: Yeah. It's true. Uh, you, you may be just storing up uh, problems for the future. If you are protecting people from price increases now, you're allowing them to consume uh, energy for longer. And if you're depleting your gas storage, for example, faster as a result of that, it could mean that later in the winter, the mm-hmm. shortages hit all the harder because you haven't sort of laid the groundwork for that. But then on the flip side, you know the hardship that's going to be caused by price increases, um, if these measures aren't taken is, is gonna cause immediate economic distress and human distress. So it's a, it's a really difficult uh, problem to balance. Yeah.
0: Yeah, no, it is. I'm not saying that everyone should be paying 80% more in the electricity bill. It just feels like this is a problem that can't end past winter. Um, all right, anyway, lots more to debate, James. We really appreciate James Herron uh, joining us from your from your, from your London studio on energy. Uh, okay, coming up, we're going to talk about Bed Bath & Beyond, switching our focus to the U.S. The stock dropped big today. It's eliminating 20% of its jobs. We're going to talk about that next. This is Bloomberg.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
0: Good evening, and listen listening to Cable Bloomberg D.A.B. Digital Radio. I'm Alex Deal, along with pretty good Guy Johnson is still off today. Let's get to one fascinating stock. That is Bed Bath & Beyond, down 22%. It is issuing shares. Remember that meme stock rally that we've seen in the last couple of weeks. It's also going to cut jobs. It's also going to trim uh, how many stores it has. Let's get some more details on this with Jeanette Newman, um, Consumer America's reporter here for Bloomberg. Jeanette, walk us through the substantial fundamental changes that Bed Bath & Beyond is trying to make here.
9: Well one of the things so so first they announced that they got additional financing this morning which was which was a big deal. that was um, that was that was something they really needed to land and they got about 500 million dollars in um, in additional in additional financing. Um, and another thing they said is they're closing 150 of the roughly 1000 stores in the US and and Canada and laying off about 20% of their corporate and supply chain staff. So those are those are some of the the big changes they announced and then also they are making a pivot on their what we can call their merchandise strategy. Um, Bed Bath and Beyond had had shifted to offering a lot of private label brands, which are brands that the company produces itself, and shifting away from some of those name brands um, that many American shoppers know so well. That's one of the reasons analysts and investors say the company has has suffered in the past couple of years, is because customers had been going to Bed Bath and Beyond to get those name brands they know so well would show up and they wouldn't be available, and instead it was this you know slew of new brands. Um, that the company itself was producing um, that weren't as much of a hit with, um, with shoppers. So now, the company says it's reversing that strategy, shutting down some of its private label brands, and going to bring back those brands that consumers um, new in love, and analysts have some questions about whether these, you know, these name brands, uh, these companies, are they going to want to go back to working with Bed Bath and Beyond mm. in, in the same way? So, so now we're going to have to see if they're going to be able to execute on that strategy. It's going to be so wild to
4: go into a Bed Bath and Beyond now because it's just <laughs> such a classic, like pre-college stop. Um, but I'm curious about the filing that they made actually today when it comes to selling some of their shares. Liquidity has been a major problem. Walk us through the details <laughs> of that.
9: They, they also, great point, they also announced that they are potentially going to sell up to 12 million more uh, more shares. And they're going to do that via um, Jeffrey. So again, another measure that they're taking to try to um, address some investor concerns about whether their survival plan actually uh, has legs.
0: Also, I mean, I feel like we've seen that a lot, like from Carnival and the cruise lines, for example. Once you get kind of the meme stock, you know, rally getting into your stock, then you're going to go and issue some shares. Yeah, McKay, makes sense. Um, how long do we give Bed Bath and Beyond to see if this is going to work?
9: That's a good. That's a good question. I mean, we're we're heading into the all all important holiday holiday season, and I think p- part of the part of the issue here is that Bed Bath and Beyond is trying to make a strategy shift at a really bad time for consumer companies mm-hmm. especially for a consumer company that sells 50% of goods that are that are bed bath and and home right the demand for those types of goods is is slowing now as consumers pull back because of because of inflation and and so i think it, it just makes a tough situation even tougher and you know c- consumer companies are talking a lot about big discounts during the holiday season to clear a lot of this excess inventory they have so you have bed bath and beyond also talking about you know discounting, but going head to head against these these companies that are in a much better situation financially, and again with the products that that um, that they offer.
4: Well, about thirty seconds here. I know you mentioned the holiday retail inventories. I'm going to put you on the spot. Hmm. When it comes to promotions, we had Best Buy actually come out recently and say, "Well, actually, we're doing way better because we've sold off so much at a discount." Is that really a viable strategy for some of these retailers?
9: I think a lot you have heard a lot of retailers saying that they are going to step up discounts to just to get rid of this, you know, in some cases 40, 50% annual But then they make less in, money. So they, it's like they they make less money but they get rid of the inventory that they don't want so then they can have the inventory they do for the next year, I guess as the strategy. But we will see at the beginning of the year if this strategy ends up paying off. Right.
0: Yeah, and also at this point how many people like how many more sets of towels do you need at a discount I mean you know what i'm saying like I just, it's not like replacing a tv or like ooh right. i'm going to take advantage of this and like get a new computer That's like fair. it's a different kind of thing um all right Jeanette, thanks a lot we really appreciate Jeanette newman joining us she covers consumer and personal care products for bloomberg here all right coming up we're going to follow that theme of the meme stock trade and sort of put Our lens on the broader market. We're wrapping up the end of August. It's been a really wild and crazy ride. We're going to get the details there. Like I mentioned, uh, oil having a tough month, dollar having a good month, uh, equities having a eh month. Kind of really going nowhere. Volatility, though, still there. Uh, we'll break it all down for you. This is Bloomberg.
2: This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio.
6: And the interesting thing to us, Alex, this whole year, we, the equity risk premium has not risen at all. In fact, it's well below where it was at the beginning of the year today, even though we think the earnings risk is now upon us, right? We're cutting numbers, and we think the numbers are going to come down even further over the next two quarters. So, so the bottom line for us is the P multiple is wrong again, not because the Fed is going to be hawkish, but because The equity market is being too optimistic about the earnings outlook, and usually the way that resolves itself is the multiple will start to come down as earnings get cut, and then somewhere in the Mm. middle of that earnings cut process, the market will bottom, and we think that's probably sometime between probably September and December.
0: That was Mike Wilson, Chief U.S. Equity Strategist over at Morgan Stanley. And we know that he's persistently bearish, but he is worried about earnings revisions having to come down and that not at all being priced. Um, he's worried that companies aren't going to lay off people, and that's going to actually pressure um, margins as well as earnings even more, much more than the market expects. Um, okay, let's get more on all of this. I mentioned this the last day uh, well of the month. You're looking at an S&P that's down by about 3.5% on the month, an NasDAq down 4%, um, real estate and, consumer, um, and community Communications were the best-performing sectors. This, nope, that's just for the day. Let me just change my guy here. Uh, energy and utilities, uh, the top-performing sectors in the S and P for the month. Tech and healthcare uh, on the bottom. Joining Kriti and I here in this uh, is Bailey Lipschultz. He's equity reporter for Bloomberg. Hey, Bailey, what do you make of August? What do you make of the last four weeks of crazy?
10: It's just been weird, Alex. I mean, it seems like there was such that such a bear market rally that we saw off those June lows. And a lot of optimism about maybe the the Fed will pivot. Could the the Fed pivot? Excuse me. And then obviously Jay Powell on Friday reiterating that they're staying the course, which uh, a range of Fed members have continued to reiterate. So talking to some investors, it's really kind of surprising that we saw markets rip, and now we're seeing that uncertainty creep back in, and that's really why uh, we're seeing stocks waver on the final day of August, but head into another losing month, uh, fifth losing month of the year so far. Uh, for the S&P 500.
4: So, Bailey, I feel like this week the, the story is really just wait and see for payrolls, but I'm wondering if next week, when we come back from Labor Day here in the U.S., on Tuesday, is it just going to be everyone hopping into the market and making these big bets going for into the end of the year? What can we expect next week?
10: Next week will be interesting. We Historically, September is one of, if not the worst, months for Uh, markets broadly speaking and so you're looking at uh, expectations for trading volume to pick back up we've seen a very sleepy few weeks even with Friday um, Jackson Hole on Friday so I think that you can kind of expect uh, at least volumes to pick back up but it will be interesting to see if that jittery the jitters that have really played out and dominated the market in the last few weeks continue and extend uh, just as people get back from their Mm -hmm. summer vacations the kids are back in school
0: So, are we going to finally see the VIX play some catch-up then?
10: I think that that would not be a bad bet. I mean, you're looking at it, at least right now, the VIX holding back above 25. It's still far below. We saw the breakouts above 30, closer to the 35 level a few times so far this year. So, I think that is something to keep an eye on. Uh, But that 25 level will be uh, a very important level to watch, again, uh, just given kind of where this market has been trading and the different factors that we've seen playing out kind of a
4: cross asset. Well, Bailey, I'm curious once again about the speculative story. We just had Jeanette Newman uh, come and talk to us about the bed, bath, and beyond of it all, the retail traders. I want to know about the participation here, because now I feel mm. like we're in an environment Definitely. where Alex actually always asks me this question, now that I'm thinking in retrospect, she always says, oh. what's the difference between institutional and the retail traders? What are they telling you? So, Bailey, what are they <laughs> telling you? <laughs>
10: Well, if you look at retail flows. So we've seen continued buying, but not what you would expect when the market's falling. So traditionally, retail traders are a buy-the-dip crowd. So they buy ETFs broadly when the market is falling, and then will dip back into speculative pockets uh, when the market's rallying. That's why you saw things like uh, ARK favorites or meme stocks or d specs kind of really getting the biggest bump. At the early uh, kind of late July early August but broadly speaking we aren't seeing the demand uh, from retail investors they're more hesitant to buy the dip and when you talk to institutional Mm -hmm. investors uh, they're also sitting on the sidelines so you're not seeing that much demand that much money being pushed into this market and obviously you're heading into and dealing with uh, quantitative tightening so that's another thing to keep an eye on that kind of can be another kind of pain for investors again going into historically the worst month of the year for US equities.
0: so What about on the short side? So it's hard to get a grasp on how much shorts are in the market, meaning that it's not going to take a lot then to roll them up. And then there you get an equity rally that's not really fundamentally based. Or or how much clean positioning do we have?
10: Um, It's still not really clear. We've seen hedge funds broadly kind of protecting against more downside. And that's something that has continued to play out uh, just given the bear market rally that we saw. But if you look at Kind of investor positioning, we've seen investors rotate to the sidelines, going long dollar, buying some of those more defensive names. And that obviously uh, using options to hedge for further downside and um, looking at potentially shorting things like uh, the S&P, SPY, things that are tracking the broader markets as a whole. So you're not really seeing uh, kind of a potential follow through risk, if you will, for another bear market rally, just given kind of where investors right now are allocating capital.
4: Can I just make a quick announcement, Alex, if you mm. don't mind? Mm-hmm. Bailey Lipschultz recently got engaged, Hey, congratulations! I, I outed him to the entire Stocks Markets team unintentionally, and then he was like, it's okay, I already did it on radio, so it was fine. But now, Congrats. the entire British audience knows that Bailey Schultz is engaged, which is, I think, an important announcement. Bailey, last question to you here, quickly, 30 seconds. Is the SPAC market dead?
10: I don't think so. Talking to some investors, it will continue to live on one way or another, uh, just given it can bring companies public that don't have the uh, access through traditional IPOs. But when you're looking at it as a whole, there still is a backlog of hundreds of these uh, pre-deal specs. So it will be a choppy, call it nine months, and then maybe we'll see some of that churn uh, kind of froth get pushed out and the traditional um, experts kind of really being able to carry that market in 2023, 2024.
0: Bailey, such a pleasure. I don't think we've ever talked before. Really appreciate right. your insight. We'll definitely have you back on. Bailey Lipschultz uh, joining me here. Um, okay, Kriti, what are you watching? What's your thing the next 24
4: hours? Oh my gosh, that's a hard one. Um, I want to know if the market cares about this job story. If jobs is the theme, are they going to react to jobless claims tomorrow? Mm. That's my that's my. Or are we question. already
0: kind of pricing in like a softer market? Like we've right. gotten so many indications. What am I watching? I don't know what I'm. ISM. I like me some ISM. I okay. get some PMI tomorrow. We're both I like on the that. eco data train. Yeah, we'll go on that. Um, hope you enjoyed the show. You've been listening to the cable. Critty and I will be back with you tomorrow. Have a wonderful evening, everyone. This is Bloomberg.